Hey everyone, and welcome back to Standby Go. This week we have the same person we had last week. We have Mark Jones. Uh, so thanks for coming back, Mark. You're welcome. And uh, this time we're going to talk about directing and, and your history of directing and kind of your philosophy and maybe even some words of wisdom to actors who are looking to get into, uh, into acting from a director's standpoint. But before we get there, anybody who has done a show with you or uh, who watched your 30-day Playbill Challenge noticed that you have a lot of really cool t-shirts. Yeah. <laughs> you have a big collection of them um, from all over the place. You have some superhero ones. You have some from TV. Uh, you have musical theater ones. There we go. <laughs> we have our Wonder Woman because you're a big yes. Wonder Woman fan. Yes, big, big Wonder Woman um, did I see you got some really cool sunglasses yesterday? Wonder Woman. I did. Yes, they are Wonder Woman 1984 sunglasses, and I am so excited not only about the movie, but the merchandising for this movie is taking me back to my elementary school days in the 80s. Because in '84, I would have been, I think, in like fourth or fifth grade. Um, but the merchandising is so very retro. And vintage, I hate to say vintage because that makes me feel really old. But um, the sunglasses are just so 80s. And I loved them when I saw them and a friend bought them for me. So I was very excited. Yeah. So, and I've got some really cool t-shirts that are coming out with that show or the movie too, just simply because they're, they look very 80s. They, you know, with the whole, and everything is going on this 80s kick now. Stranger Things was 80s and Wonder Woman's 80s. And, you know, I mean, it's just crazy how the 80s have become an era for films, you know, I'm curious to see if there's going to be any musicals that come out that are all eighties. <laughs> hey, we could do Starlight Express. <laughs> That's eighties. Yeah, there we go. Oh, yeah, yeah. Some more eighties musicals out there. Uh, yeah. So <laughs> what kind of got you into like collecting these, these fun t-shirts and what are some of your favorite ones? Um, I just have always loved pop culture. Um, being growing up on television, you know, I watched a lot of TV as a kid, uh, saw a lot of films as a kid. And I know there's a lot of people out there that also have done that too. Um, but they made such a huge impact on me. And as I got older, I started, you know, this whole like pop culture and finding these really cool t-shirts that I could wear. They're conversation starters. You know, when you go to parties, you wear a nice t-shirt with some kind of fun thing on it with a blazer and everyone's like, Oh, I love that shirt. And you know, it, it just basically helps me find people that are like me, <laughs> I guess, you know, I wear a shirt with grease too on it and I go out to the mall and I'm amazed at how many people recognize my shirt and I'm like, yay, you know, people know who, what that is. Or, you know, I wear like some of the ones I have just recently found, um, are these artists rendering of characters from movies. And I have an Audrey, Ellen Green, Audrey from Little Shop of Horrors. I have a Madeline Kahn uh, from Clue as Mrs. White. Um, I have the pink ladies on a shirt. And people just always are like, I love your shirt. Where did you get it? And because they recognize the character. And I, I, I just think it's fun. It's a fun, you know, conversation starter. So, yeah. And uh, also on your, on your last episode, we talked about your wealth of knowledge when it comes to, to musical theater. And so what I did uh, 
for this one is I'm going to name three characters <laughs> in, um, in musicals. And I want you to tell me who originated the roles. Okay. All right. So the first one is going to be super simple, super easy. Okay. <laughs> um, it's Christine and Phantom of the Opera. Okay. That was Sarah Brightman. Um, fun fact. She was married to Andrew Lloyd Webber when he wrote that show. Supposedly he wrote it for her. Mm-hmm. Um, I may get some hate, hatred for this, but she's not my favorite, Christine. <laughs> um, I, I think she, you know, at the time I loved the recording and I listened to it nonstop. But now as I've gotten older, I found that there are much better Christines out there or ones that I like their voices better. Um, most recently, Sierra Bagas in the mm-hmm. 25th concert was, I think, amazing um she was beautiful and she had a beautiful voice and she to me fit the age looked more like the character i what i envisioned when i when i see it so or hear it so yeah yeah i actually i have i have similar opinion um on that for the phantom for the original phantom as well yeah i'm not a michael crawford he has a very odd voice his Um, his first note that he sings just doesn't sound like it's strong enough to be this this phantom of this you know this like maestro you know yeah but Ramin oh yeah is a is an amazing uh, amazing phantom and I've actually been watching because all this time I have lately um, I've been watching these uh, the vocal coaches watching mm. different people <laughs> sing and I've watched multiple um, who watch Sierra and Ramin sing that. And it's really interesting to hear how they how they talk about some of those notes. But yeah, yeah, those yeah. two together are probably my favorite, uh, Phantom and Christine. Yeah, it was it was a beautiful beautiful staged concert. I was very pleased that it that they released it, and it pretty much renewed my. I mean, when I saw Phantom in New York in 1990, and I had gone loving the show. And then was disappointed because it just wasn't what I built it up to be when I yeah. saw the production. Um, but that's okay. I saw Les Mis that same year for the first time and fell in love with that show. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Actually, that's kind of when I went to New York in November of the five shows that I saw, Phantom was the one I was the least impressed with. Yeah. Um, and that had probably had something to do that it was the furthest away from the stage I was. Um, yeah. Well, we and, were, yeah, I was in the nosebleed. So yeah. it was like, and I feel like, I see them. yeah. And, and my thing was, I was really impressed with all the tech stuff. Cause of course I was. Um, but if I didn't know what was happening in the story, because I know it so well, I wouldn't have been able to tell you what was yeah. happening, Yeah. but it was still an amazing experience. And I'm glad I did it, but yeah, um, it's hard to go up against, uh, up against Dear Evan Hansen and Hamilton, <laughs> especially okay. as close as I was for those. All right. So my second one Next. is, uh, is Millie and thoroughly modern Millie. Oh, well, that would be Sutton Foster. Yes. But I don't know. Sutton Foster was not the original choice. She was the understudy in the original choice. I would have to Google it. I should know this answer, um, but I don't. So forgive me. But the understudy, the girl lady that she wasn't able to go on for some reason, or she, it's a typical understudy story. It happens occasionally, yeah. you know, 
And Sutton Foster was an unknown and she went on in the role and the rest is history. She won a Tony Award. She, you know, and that happened also in Cats, the original London production of Cats before it came to Broadway. Um, Grizabella, everyone is like, oh my God, Elaine Page. She was so amazing. You know, she wasn't the original Grizabella. Oh. The original was Judy Dench. Oh, okay. Judy Dench was supposed to play Grizabella in Cats in 1982, I guess. And during a rehearsal one day, she fell in off the stage into the um, seating and she tore some um, tendons in her leg and had to go into the hospital and Elaine Page went on. And as they say, the rest is history. Wow. <laughs> and I'm sure Judy Dench did not kick herself. Although she ended up being in the film, which I don't know how she feels about that now. But. <laughs> which could be a whole nother podcast. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay. And then, and then the third one, um, which is, I went with this because it's actually a show that you've done. Okay. Um, and it's, uh, it plays the doctor in Young Frankenstein. Uh, Roger Bart. And that was your I, role too, right? That was my role. Yeah. So I thought, yeah. Um, and I love Roger Bart because, you know, he was Snoopy in the revival of Your Good Man, Charlie Brown. Um, and a lot of people don't realize this, but he was also the singing voice of Hercules in the oh, animated yeah. film, Disney film. Um, so that was back in the day when they were going through that. Disney had this thing where they would cast an actor in the role, but then they would hire someone else to be their singing voice. And they would match, so you wouldn't really know that they weren't the same person. But Roger Bart did not do the speaking voice of Hercules. He was the singing voice. And so he sang Go the Distance and all of that, um, which is kind of neat. You know, and they did the same thing with like Pocahontas. They hired an actress, a Native American actress to play Pocahontas, but then they hired Judy Kuhn, who is a Broadway singer from Les Mis and from Rags and from the recent Fun Home to do her voice, her singing voice. Uh, Jasmine was Leia Salonga, but not the speaking voice. It was uh, uh, Linda Larkin, I think. So, I mean, this whole Disney had this thing with Broadway singers where they would hire a singer and Roger Bart was brought in. But it's funny because Roger Bart did, when they did Hercules on stage uh, just recently at the public theater, he played Hades. Um, so, which is the role that I would die to play. I haven't even seen the musical version of the show, but Hades is me 100%. <laughs> like, I see that, like, oh my God, that is my character right there. That is my villain. That is my Disney villain. I want to play yeah. the Danny DeVito role. Oh yeah, Phil. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. hopefully, but that show's coming. That show is going to be, they're working on it to be released to regional theaters. So that means it would be available for somewhere like Heart or ACT or somewhere to do. And I'm like, oh, good. My chance to play Hades might actually happen, <laughs> not in Hades Town. Uh, all right. So you went okay. three for three with some with some extra knowledge imparted. You I went know. <laughs> I know. You know. I may have to have a segment where I where I you know get harder and harder ones. Um, so let's go ahead and jump uh, right into how you got started in directing. The last episode, uh, you, you mentioned that you were in high school and um, a musical came up. There wasn't necessarily a role for you, but you still wanted to be involved. So can you 
kind of go into that um, and then kind of how you progressed from there? Yeah. So in high school, it was my uh, junior year. Um, we were doing, we had a musical theater class, which was unusual for high schools. Um, but because Greece had been so successful my freshman year, and then once upon a mattress, we had like a class starting my sophomore year. By junior year, we had, we were doing Oklahoma. And it's not one of my favorite shows. I know people are like, oh, it's one of my favorites. I don't care for Oklahoma <laughs> that much. Um, no, neither version, the new version or the old version. Um, it's just not my favorite. But we were doing it. And previously that year, we had done a small show, uh, that kind of a traveling show. And I had designed the set for it. And so when we were doing Oklahoma, I asked the teacher, I was like, can I design the set for Oklahoma? Um, and then knew the shop class would build it. So I was just going to draw it and they would create it. And she said, sure. So I did that. And then that led to her asking me questions about the set and how this would work and how that would work. And so I ended up staging a lot of the numbers and helping her do that. Um, because there really wasn't a part for me in the show. I was in it. You know, I played Slim the Cowhand and I sang a couple of solo lines here and there in The Farmer and the Cowhand and I danced. But other than that, I was like, yeah. So I helped her do that. Um, but I didn't direct again until 2005 when, um, actually maybe it had been 2006. I was in a, uh, had started doing things at Heart in Waynesville and worked with this actress who we were talking about a show one day called Ruthless, which is a very fun musical. If y'all haven't heard it, you need to check it out because it is a, um, a five person, um, five women, I think, or four, five women in one man musical uh, based on our spoof of All About Eve and um, Gypsy and The Bad Seed are all mixed into this one show and it's so funny. But anyway, um, the actress, we were talking about it, and then shortly after that show, she was cast in a production in Silva, and something happened, and their director had to drop out, and they still wanted to do it, so they were trying to find a director, and she said, well, I know this this actor that I spoke to that said he loved it and would love to direct it someday. Let's ask him, and I was available, so I directed it, and then it led to Bat Boy, the musical at heart which was my first main stage production. And then from then on, I just kept going <laughs> because Bat Boy turned out to be such a good production that I just kept getting asked to do more and more and direct every season. And, and then ACT, you know, I did, a, I've done a few shows at ACT, not as many as people think at ACT. I've only directed um, Little Shop of Horrors, uh, Snowbound, the Great American Trailer Park Musical, and the fantastics the rest of them have been kids productions yeah i was just about to say you've been you've been highly involved since the time i knew you um with the the tanglewood and the the kids production broadway boot camp broadway boot camp you know like frog that. and toad bye bye birdie yeah um those are the only bye bye birdie and frog and toad are, oh and 13 i always forget 13 for some yeah. reason um so for those of stage, I haven't done much. Right. So those who may not know what Broadway boot camp is, can you just very shortly explain what that is at Asheville Community Theater? Yeah, Broadway boot camp is a class that would meet once a week for about ten weeks, 
a couple hours in there. Um, and it's a group of kids who usually ages 12 to 17, who either A, have done a lot of theater and are, you know, are wanting to, to learn more or have never been on in a show before in their, <clears throat> in their life and they just want to, you know, experience it. And what they do is they come in and I usually, in the first couple of classes, I assess their abilities and get to know their personalities and I choose songs for them to do. Um, I usually have an opening number, a closing number, which are the group, and then a dance number where everyone has to dance. Um, and then I either A, break it down into solos or duets or group numbers, depending on what their capabilities are. Um, and we just do a little concert, you know, basically um, I'll try to have a theme for the concert, but it's just usually a show of, you know, songs from different musicals, old and new. And in, in the process of doing that, I also teach them about the musical they're singing from, you know, history. I also teach them about how to perform it, you know, and not just sing a song. And I always, my biggest thing is teaching them to stand still. You know, they, I don't know where they get this, this learned ability that to act a song, you have to move your hands all over the place and walk back and forth. I'm like, no stand still less is more <laughs> so you know i tend to do that with with people when they're first starting off no 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 stand still stand still stand still or, or i'll videotape and see what your hands are doing there don't do that yeah or i'll say okay you have a three minute song you get four hand movements that's it <laughs> use them wisely <laughs> yeah know? yeah i I tend to see that a lot, especially in younger actors or, or ones who aren't as seasoned and, and have done a lot of shows. I think it's just a nerves thing. It is. And I'm like, where did you learn that? You know, like what video did you watch? Because I learned from, well, it wasn't for a while that YouTube didn't even, but YouTube exists now. But when I was a kid, there was only the Tony Awards, you know, that was it. So if you wanted to watch a performance of a Broadway musical, you didn't get to do that. There was no way to do it. And then now with the dawning of YouTube, there's no, to me, there's no reason why kids who love theater can't, I mean, I learned from watching and listening to these performers. Like I picked up their vocal stylings and how they phrased a song and how they moved. And I watched it and I learned to be my own performer that way. So, you know, hopefully kids will learn from me. <laughs> you know doing the same thing but yeah I, I actually i tend to think that they don't even know it's happening which is probably why you have to give that note so many times and have to record them to prove to them that that's what they're doing yes you have to they have to see it it's like do you know you're doing this what do you mean i'm like well you do this particular thing do you know you're doing it well i'm like okay so if you know you're doing it stop it you know, like, yeah. stop it. Like, put your hands in your pocket. This time you're going to sing the song with your hands in your pocket. Don't move them. Yeah. But it's hard. I'm like, yeah, but you eventually get to a point where it's not. Yeah. Where you just feel okay. I mean, in, in the Fantastics, I worked with, you know, with Emily on that. I love her. And I, she would do, I'm like, stand still. Well, it feels weird. I'm like, I know, but trust me. Yeah. You may feel like you need to do something, but we don't need to see you do anything. 
Yeah. Just stand there and sing the song and you've got us. You don't have to gesture. You don't have to, or in acting, it's called indicating. You don't have to indicate. If you're singing about your heart, you don't need to touch your heart. You know? <laughs> or you don't have, unless it's like something spoofish, like the Wizard of Oz, of course I'm going to, you know, but in a normal show, you don't have to, you don't have to do that. So, and that's kind of my directing style is like, I don't try to be mean, but I'm like, no, you know, like if they do it, no, whoa, I, yeah, you're doing it. Stop. You know, because it's like, eventually they'll, they'll realize. And then I start to see them, they do it and then realize that they just did it. And I'm like, yes, I'm getting through to them. <laughs> they, they, they're hearing me in their head going, nope. <laughs> yeah. I've worked with a lot of people, uh, you know, I've been in shows, with a lot of people who do that, but I've also been in shows with the complete opposite where they will not move unless oh, yeah. you tell them. And it's just like, we you need, we need to be in the middle of that spectrum somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me a story. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I kind of, I want to move on to kind of like your philosophy of directing um, and, and just kind of start from the beginning. So kind of what are your first steps when you find out that you're uh, going to do a show? Like when a theater hires you to do a specific show, um, whether they say, Hey, will you do this show? Um, and, in that example, I'm thinking of Asheville Community Theater um, asking you to do the Fantastics. Uh, just kind of what are your first steps and, and, and your first initial thoughts? Well, the first step is I usually get the script, especially if I don't know the show. Uh, with the Fantastics, I knew the show. I had done the show. Um, so I knew the show very well. Um, but I still wanted to get the script because there have been multiple changes to that show and I wanted to make sure that I knew which version we were doing and what changes were being made. And then usually I, once I get the script, I will get a notebook, a three ring binder, put the script in the, you know, copies of the script into the three ring binder. And then I get my tabs and I start like, I'll have a script tab. I'll have a score tab because I read music. So as a director, if I'm doing a musical, I want to know the score. I want to know where the music is where it falls, what tempos does it take? What is it, you know, what word does it start on? What does it play under? Because the music tells the mood that you're trying to set as well. You know, with a musical, you're kind of given that, you know, this is the mood you need to, to set. Um, this is the emotion you're trying to convey and it's there in the music. Whereas in a play, you don't necessarily have that. You have to discover that. Um, so I'll get the score and then I'll start going online um, and trying to get ideas and visions of what I want the show to look like. Um, Cause I can see it in my head, but trying to explain that to a costumer and to a set designer is hard to do. And I'm not the greatest of, I can draw, but it's been a really long time since I've done that. So I don't, you know, really can't sit down and sketch out a, an idea. So I just go on and start finding inspiration photos. I find costume inspiration photos online and I save them into a file. And then I go on and find set inspiration of what I, what I would like the set to, to re resemble. Um, and then I put those in a file. And then once I've saved a lot of photos, sometimes there are like five or six pages of photos, you know, just individual small ones. I will then go back and just pick the ones I really like and I will print them out to give to the person, to the costumer or to the set designer. 
And then I will meet with them individually and discuss, like I'll tell them my vision. Before I even show pictures, I'll just say, this is what I've been thinking about. What do, does that spark any idea? Cause they've been thinking too, you know, they've been, they've been hired, they've gotten the script and they start thinking too. And so like with Ida, her and I've worked together many times and we tend to have the same idea. So that's a great thing. Um, and if not, she's really good about melding or meshing any of her ideas that she has in with my ideas. Um, and Fantastics, it changed a couple of times. It started off as circus. So there were lots of circus things going on. And then that kind of changed as we got closer to rehearsal time. And she was willing to go with every change. Um, so by the time we got to the first read through, she had a PowerPoint system of every character. And that way the actors could see an idea of what they were, what they were going for. <clears throat> and then with the set designer, you know, I give them the same thing, inspiration ideas, tell them what I'd like to have platforms, this levels. I want a tree house. You know, I want, you know, there was a rope swing at one time that I wanted in there, like a tire swing. Um, and there were so many different things. And then I send them away and they come back with a drawing. Uh, you were there for the first, the first reveal. Yeah, um, I, was. I was there for a rehearsal for something else yeah. and Ben came and, in and showed you. Yeah. And it just wasn't, but I think it was wizard actually. Maybe. Yeah, probably. It, but yeah. it just, and it wasn't that it was a bad set design. It just wasn't what I envisioned. So I drew some things on it and said, go back and this is, you know, change this and that and this and that. Um, and he did. And the second one he came back with was what we ended up with, um, with some slight changes. Cause once that was decided, he gives it to Jill and then she says, yes, we can. No, we can't. We can do that. We can do this. And, you know, with Fantastics, it was great because she was able to, you know, get us closer to the audience than what we originally were intending um, because of the proscenium. But yeah, so that's kind of my steps in, you know, um, and it helps when you have, once you get an actor's cast, it's even easier because all these ideas I have in my head, I can now physically see people in those characters, you know, because before you're just kind of imagining a look that you don't really know who you're going to get. Um, and so it was exciting to go to, you know, to have auditions and see these actors and go, okay, that person didn't necessarily fit what I was looking for originally, but I love this person. So we're going there, you know, and because I don't go into auditions with any preconceived notion of characters, you know, I might, in, in my group of friends, I might, envision some of them in these roles but that doesn't mean that you know they're going to get the roles <laughs> because i always draw from what i know not from what i don't know and in auditions you as you know you don't know who's going to show up mm -hmm. i mean i had no idea that alex was going to walk into the fantastics audition to to audition for matt and it was just like wow where did you you know where i'm glad you're back welcome back you know yeah. and then he left again yeah so i didn't know who you know girl wise there were lots of girls that I had asked to come and I didn't know who was going to show up and we had different ones to choose from. It was so interesting, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, but that's kind of in a nutshell, what I, how I approach. I mean, I have Joseph ready, ready to go right here. Yeah. And it has my, you know, my, you can't really see in the pictures, but I have tabs and I have score and script and everything in there. 
Um, and as it not happening, well, it hasn't been announced yet, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's just not going to go on this year. Yeah. Well, it gives you more time to think about it. Yes, it does. Um, which is great because, you know, I had some really cool ideas for that show as well. Um, and the goal for me as a director is always to do something different than what people expect. It's, it's too easy to take a show and present it exactly the way it's been presented by many other people. That I want to be a director that can take a show and honor all the things that have come before it, but also add my own little spin to it, whether it be in a, a vision or whether it be in a, you know, look, and there are some shows you can't really do that much too. I mean, Mamma Mia, you know, the only thing you get really is a set design and costume designs. Other than that, the show is pretty much cookie cutter. This is the way the show is. Uh, you know, when I directed Legally Blonde, it's kind of the same way. It's, it's laid out, you have a set design and a vision of how you do it, but the show itself is cut and dry across the board. This is how you do it. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that, but I like shows like The Fantastics where I, there's not a preconceived notion. There is, but I can change it, you know? Yeah, especially in, in the differences of space between the original Fantastics, which took place in such a small building with such a small stage versus, you know, a 40 foot wide proscenium that we have at, at, at ACT. Exactly. But I still, I feel like I captured that intimacy in our show or in my show with this, the large space. I feel like I used every inch of that set that was given to me, but I still managed to keep it intimate with and, Abby's wonderful lighting yeah. and with the setting, it still managed to capture that mood and that intimacy of being in that small space um, in that big, big ACT space. Yeah. <laughs> and you, and you still honored the original set design by still having four poles and a, and a trunk. Exactly. Except you had eight. Having the cardboard moon and having the, the fabric go up and down with the fantastic. I mean, I still honored all of the things that were part of, you know, the trunks. I just had more trunks as opposed to just one. And you added probably the coolest part to the set design, uh, which added to my favorite part of the show, which was a turntable. Yes. <laughs> that was one of those things that I have ideas sometimes. And in my head, I'm like, this is going to work. It's got to work. You know, and then we, we incorporated it into the set. And I kept telling Ben and Jill, I'm like, I hope this works. But I can't tell it's going to work until we physically have the, the the turntable you know and so she you know jill worked really well i mean so happy this set was finished in so quickly and we were able to try all of the shadow play and all of the turntable stuff at, at an event at a time where we could change it if it didn't work as opposed to finding out tech week it isn't working let's change it um and so we that turntable First of all, that song, I Can See It, is one of my favorite songs in the whole show. The intensity that the two guys are singing back and forth, back and forth, and it's written in the dynamics of the song that they 
do this section that's like a round where one sings and then the next one sings and then the next one sings and, the, and they're doing it, but it's like they're, they come forward and then they fade away. Yeah. One crescendos as the other one. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And it was written that way. So even if they just stood on stage and sang it, that's how it would have sounded. But I wanted it to feel like when they were loud, they were facing the audience. But as they were Dick or Cindy, they, they went to the back. And so I put them on the turntable. So they were turning as they were singing and then they would go back and then they, you know, and it just was like this really cool effect. And it made it seem like their voices were doing that because they were going away from the audience and going upstage as opposed to downstage. And I'm like, no, they would have sounded exactly the same if they had just been standing in front of you. But it was just the cool effect. And I was very, very proud of that moment. Um, every show I've done has something in it that I'm very proud of that. Like I came up with that idea, you know, that was a cool, you know, like, and I don't like to toot my own horn, but sometimes I'm like, that was kind of neat. I'm glad I came up with that. <laughs> I'm yeah. glad that people liked it, you know? Yeah. I remember, um, since I didn't do much backstage as the, as the ASM for the show, because it, all the changes happened on stage by the, by the actors, uh, during Tech Sunday, I got to sit out in the house and watch it. And I remember the first time that they did that song and the whole first act, I was like, why is there a turntable? Yeah. I mean, it got it's turned really a couple, it got one. turned yeah. a couple times. But nothing like, eventful. Why? It was just why like, is there a turntable? <clears throat> and then that, that song happened. And I, I, yeah, even just doing the Q to Q and then watching them run it once, it was like, that's amazing. That, I watched yeah, it every night, fun. every show, every night. And because as a director, I like to do that. I'm never done with my show. Yeah. I, I don't direct it. And then I love to watch the audience react to it. And that song every night, everyone just kind of leaned forward when that moment happened, because it was like, what is going on? <laughs> you know, Because they were turning. I mean, it was, it was beautiful to watch them do it, you know, and the actors turn them and, the flashlights, everything about that number was just like so much fun to do. And it turned something that was just two people singing a song into a production number. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't a production number to be a production number. It was a production number. I felt like just to make it even more exciting, you know, it still told the story and it still, he still did what he was supposed to do, you know? Yeah. So, uh, and so, you know, and talking about, your process, especially early on with the Fantastics, you mentioned Ida, who was your costumer. And then mm -hmm. just a few minutes ago, you mentioned Abby as the lighting designer, which are both people that you've worked with multiple times. And I've worked um, with Ben before too, uh, as, even though not on the main stage, but Ben right, has for, designed yeah. a couple of my kids' productions. Yeah. Um, so I've worked with Ben. He did 13 and Frog and Toad. Yeah. So it was kind of, I've all three of them I've worked with before. Yeah. And it, she wasn't your uh, music director for Fantastics, but Sarah Fowler has been your music director for a lot of shows. Um, how much easier is your job throughout the process when you're working with designers or other directors that you've worked with in the past? Um, it's easier in the sense that I don't have to be so apologetic about the way I do things because they know how I work and we, cause we've worked together. Um, like I mentioned with Ida, when we did Susicle, that was our first show together. And 
she came in with the exact same idea that I had, which was, we just knew it was kismet when we both met, having never met before for a production meeting about costumes. And we both had the same idea. And even some of the same pictures off of the internet, which was so funny. I'm like, oh, I love this woman. We both, <laughs> we're on the same page. Um, <clears throat> and then with, you know, with Abby, she's, when she did Ghost for me, I knew that I had found a lighting designer that I loved. I mean, Ghost was beautiful at heart when I did it at heart. Um, and then she did Mamma Mia as well. And when she came to me with all those light cues for the overture, I was like, I'm in heaven. Some lighting designers would have said, no way am I going to do, you know, 500 light cues in a show. You know, <laughs> it's like, and it was great. So when she did Fantastics, it was, I was just in awe you know, of, of when I went for dry tech, it was like, this is perfect. And we've worked together. So she knows that I, I give her, you know, free reign, but she also knows that, you know, as a director, all of them know, and Ben as well, that I, I have ideas as well. And like, they're okay with me having those ideas and, and saying, yeah, I love this, but can we go this direction or can we go that direction? You know, so that we achieve the same vision, you know, as opposed to fighting. Cause sometimes, you know, you'll have a designer um, and director that are, that just don't necessarily gel or they, you can't, they don't look, the, the show ends up not looking like a, a, a thorough thing because everyone is different and they're not necessarily communicating <laughs> well. Um, but it, you know, it's, I love working with people and with Sarah, we're like, best buds so we have our moments where we we get along and then we have moments where we both like question what what the like she says well why don't you do it this way and I'm like well why don't you do it this way <laughs> yeah. and so but that's okay because we always end up you know for the best figuring it out so and when I work with someone new I love it but if, if there's that moment of like you spend I think your first show trying to figure each other out yeah and it still works but there's that it's like a trial period sometimes where you're like, is this going to work? Are we going to, are we going to gel? Is the show going to gel? Um, and it, it's always end up, it always ends up working, but there's that, that's, that's the difference in working with someone new than working with someone that you've, you really know, you know? Right. Yeah. So almost like if you're working with somebody that you've worked with in the past, especially like the more shows you do with them, you can pretty much just start, you know, start right on the road running. You don't have to, right. you don't have to ease into it because you, you don't know, have to convince them of your vision. You don't have to convince them of your, you know, what you're seeing and what you're doing. They've already been there. They know that what you're doing is going to turn out looking a certain way, you yeah. know? So they trust you. There's a lot of trust in that. Yeah, absolutely. So, all right. Well, I want to transition a little bit into um, just kind of this for people who always kind of been wondering what directors think when it comes to different aspects of theater. Uh, we're going to start with auditions. And so any, any actors that are, that are listening, this is free advice from a director <laughs> um, coming at you. Uh, what are some of your audition pet peeves as a director? Things that auditioners do that just drive you nuts or that you wish that uh, they would start doing or, or stop doing. Um, and then on top of that, what are your top two tips for anybody auditioning? Pet peeves. 
well, as you know, I do pretty much all musicals. So a big pet peeve of mine is when people show up for a musical audition and don't have music prepared. And by that, I mean, they actually have sheet music for a song that they are going to sing. That's a big pet peeve of mine because it's on the website. It's word of mouth. Everyone talks about it. Music is everywhere. You can find sheet music. You can Google it, you know? And it's, and even now musicnotes.com provides <laughs> audition ready cuts for three bucks. It's 16 bars. If it's not in your key, guess what? You can change it too. <laughs> and you get to listen to it and figure it out before you print. Um, so there's no reason, you know, and if anybody has any questions about that, please feel free to email me. I will help you through it for your next audition. I will help you. You know, I don't care as a director. It's not to me. I'm not, I'm not going to precast you, but I will certainly help you get ready for an audition if that's what you want, because that is a huge pet peeve of mine um, is to have people show up. Oh yeah. Well, I'm just going to sing happy birthday oh, again, you know, because, and as the reason, and the reason why it's a pet peeve of mine <clears throat> is because in a musical, we're looking not only to hear if you can sing, but can you match pitch? Can you hear music? Because a lot of people can sing acapella, but you play a song on the piano, ask them to sing along, they can't hear the notes. So they can't match the pitch. So, you know, that's, that's why bringing sheet music is great because we at least know that you can hear the music <laughs> and sing in the same key as the music. Um, that's pretty much my, that would be my biggest pet peeve of any audition is just being prepared with sheet music and you know because chances are you may not get cast in anything unless you are just outstanding um you know because you're just not you're just not prepared you know and it's they tell you what you need to prepare yeah and so here's here's a follow-up to that and it's one that it's a question that i've been going back and forth on my own opinion about um, and I asked many of a director and I remember even going to New York one time and doing master classes with, with different people who've been on Broadway and they all answered differently. As a director, would you rather hear something from the show or something from outside of the show at auditions? I'm the kind of person that, I mean, honestly, I really don't want to hear something from the show um, just because you don't know what I'm seeing in the show itself. So you may come in and sing a song the way that somebody sang it, and it's not what I wanted to hear. Um, but then again, if it comes down to that's the only song you know, and you have sheet music too, then I would rather, you know, it's like, eh. But I would rather you wait until the callbacks to sing something from the show, or at least know a song from the show, so that if we say, hey, do you mind singing this? Because I've done that at an audition where someone's come in and I'm like, oh, I loved you, but can you sing this song right here? And I'll give them a song from the show because I want to hear, you know, what they sound like in that type of song 
my biggest thing is, and I tell people, seeing something in the style of the show. So if you're going for a Rodgers and Hammerstein show, then seeing something from Rodgers and Hammerstein, from that style, which would also fit, you know, like Lerner and Lowe or, or any of those like 1950s, you know, musicals, My Fair Lady, Oklahoma, Carousel, all of those shows have similar styles of music. <clears throat> but if you're auditioning for a show like Little Shop of Horrors or Zombie Prom or Hairspray or a newer like pop musical, please don't come sing Oklahoma. Or don't sing, you know, sing something like, sing a pop song. It doesn't have to be a Broadway song. You can sing Britney Spears, Alanis Morissette, Ariana Grande. I don't care, as long as you have sheet music. But sing something in the style of the show. Because if I'm auditioning for Zombie Prom and all the songs are belty pop songs, and someone comes in and sings, I could have danced all night. How do I know that they can belt or that they have a pop sound? You know, <laughs> so <clears throat> I, that's that's my that's my thing about you know I don't really care, but you would probably do better to not sing a song from the show unless yeah. they specifically ask you to. Yeah, and which sometimes it has to. Like I remember the last one I saw was uh, when they were doing Avenue Q because it's such a stylistic show with with very specific voices yeah. that, that they wanted you to sing something from the show uh but my heart is my heart is time which we've talked about this because i auditioned for the fantastics and i had the yeah. hardest time picking out a song because i'm not great at picking out songs that are in the style of the show and mark is right he will help you um i, I, I remember i would sit down yeah. during uh wizard of oz and i'd be like all right mark well you know, help me out, you know, knowing that he was the director and knowing that I was coming out to audition. Um, he definitely helped me, you know, at least talk through some, uh, to, to find the style. So. And people, people think they have to sing a Broadway song. You don't, you can come to an audition and sing any song you want to sing, just have sheet music for it. All the pop songs that are out there, there is sheet music. You can go to musicnotes.com, type in the song, and you have a list of them. And you, you know, like I said, I will assist you. Maybe I should teach a, an online class about <laughs> finding sheet music for an audition. Um, <clears throat> because I teach the kids that in Broadway boot camp. You know, I teach them to research because that's the thing that a lot of people, um, when they get ready for an audition, they don't do. They don't research the show um to find out and I, I know there are people that just love to audition you know because they want the experience and that's great um but sometimes it's like especially when there's a lot of people auditioning it's not good to, if you're not if you know like if there's nothing in the show for you you know don't come to the audition unless there's you know like it's just it, I don't know. I don't, I don't mean to say it that way, but you know, it, it's just a matter of doing research and finding out the type of show it is and what roles there are and what type of song and music it is. Um, sometimes it's a matter of, Hey, this composer wrote this show. What other songs has this composer done? And I'll sing something that's like Alan Minken. My goodness, any song he's written for a Disney movie would be good for a little shop of horrors audition because he wrote Little Shop of Horrors, you know, or Beauty and the Beast, or, you know, like all the, any of his music is similar. 
just like Rodgers and Hammerstein, any of their songs would fit any Rodgers and Hammerstein song or show. Um, <clears throat> but now we're getting into an era where a lot of the shows are rock and roll and pop. So you could literally, you know, like sing a top 40 hit in an audition and be okay with that. I've seen some amazing auditions from Broadway actors where they sang a pop song and it was amazing, <laughs> you know, with just piano. So yeah. So do your research. Yes. Do come, your research. Come with uh, sheet music. Um, and, you know, maybe know at least a little bit of one of the songs in the show that you're doing, which is part of the research. Cause you never know when a director or a music director might maybe like, Hey, can you, do you know anything from can the you, show? Exactly. Learn. And that's, we are living in an era where there's no reason why you can't do the research. There isn't. I, and I tell my kids that, you know, like, YouTube, YouTube is your friend, you know, Google is your friend. And I would do, I do lots of um, exercises where I would make them, you know, I would give them a Broadway actor and I would say, go home and find all of this. You know, I would give them questions and I'd, I was like, find all this information for me. And I want you to find something that I may not know, <laughs> you know, and, or I would say, you know, they'll ask me a question in rehearsal. Like we would be in the theater and they'd be like, what's, what's on the stage? What's that set for? What show's going on? And I'm like, well, you have an iPhone? Yeah. I'm like, I give you two minutes. You tell me what show it is. And they, they have to look it up because I'm like, use your information. <laughs> like I can tell you what the show is, but you can also find that information yourself. <laughs> yeah. Use the technology you got in your pocket. Exactly. And that's the same with, you know, finding a song or learning a song and every Broadway show is on YouTube. You can find either the cast recording on YouTube, or you can find videos of the show from Broadway all the way down to Susie Q's high school that just did it. You know, they're all there for you to watch sometimes the whole show. Yeah. And my, my biggest thing, um, uh, when it comes to pet peeves or, or tips when you're auditioning is fill out your audition sheet completely, thoroughly, including, including all of your conflicts, even possible conflicts and make sure I can read them. Yes. That's the biggest thing is reading them because I see them too sometimes. And I'm like, I can't tell what this says either, you know, but yeah, it's, it's always, that's always a good thing is the, Especially when you're reading, especially when you're reading 134 of them oh, and yeah. having to input them into a computer so that your director can read it easily. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. So, but we could spend forever on auditioning. Let's move oh, on yeah. to rehearsals. Um, th this is a two-parter. Well, we'll just stick with the first one. What is something, and this is for the people who come to shows, to see shows. What is something about the rehearsal process that you wish people who came to see the shows would understand? would know and understand um the simple fact that especially in community theater um we are all we all have jobs we all work eight hour days most of you know well i would say most of us do uh some people go to school um and then they come and rehearse for three hours four nights a week you know to and they're always usually tired um but to do what they, what the audience is watching. Um, so the appreciation level and critiques and other things 
that's what I wish people would take into account for when they're like, well, the show was this or the show was that. Well, you realize that person, A, just came from work. Even during the show itself, we all, you know, there are no understudies. There are no, we do the show however we are. Um, during Wizard, I did it sick a lot, <laughs> you know, um, but I still had to do it. But the audience, you know, just like taking into account that during rehearsals that we are, you know, working really hard and we do for eight weeks usually. And that's what, yeah, that's what makes that, that Thursday performance. So, you know, we just did eight, eight hours at work and then we come to the show and then we still have work the next day, Friday, Friday shows. Like we have, you know, we work all day and then we go to the show, (laughs) but we have the next day off, you know, for the most part, except for people who work Saturdays. But you know, for those of us who work Monday through Friday jobs, Saturday like sleep in so I can give everything that I that I want and can give on Friday night. But Thursday night, I still have to work the next day. Yeah. And so we're putting it all out there. And not everybody lives in Asheville proper. Yeah. No. We have it's people a- who drive from an hour away to come do the show. Yeah. So I, I I'm in complete agreement with you on that one. Um. So when it comes to now focusing back on actors. Um, what are some things that actors can do and, and thinking of actors that you've worked with that they do to put you on your good side, to make you want to work with them again, just through that rehearsal process. And then on the flip side of that, what are things that actors can do that will put you on your, on your bad list? Well, um, and I can probably accomplish both of these at the same time, <clears throat> being on time um, and being on time means being early not on time. <laughs> um, so if rehearsal is at 6.30, showing up at 6.20 is better than showing up at 6.30 because you want to start at 6.30. Um, and it usually takes about 10 to 15 minutes for everyone to get themselves settled in. Um, so being on time, that gets, if you're on time and you're, you're early, that gets on my good side. And you're ready to go when rehearsal starts at 6.30. Um, being late, that kind of, you, you start to get on my bad side. <clears throat> uh, being prepared for rehearsal, and that means having a pencil, um, having your script with you, um, and anything else that may be needed for the rehearsal. <clears throat> so, and then just having a good attitude, being willing you know, to, to try things and, and figure out the rehearsal process. Because when I rehearse, sometimes I don't necessarily have the blocking, but I have ideas in my head. And it's, it's like between me and you as an actor, figuring out the best way to do, you know, what it's going to take to achieve the vision that I have in my head. Um, That may mean trying it a couple of different ways. That may mean doing something for a couple of, for a week or two. And then I go, you know what? I don't like that. Let's change it. (laughs) And not being, not being like, Oh my God, you can't keep changing things on me like this, you know? So that gets me, if you're willing to, to do that, then great. Um, If not, it then it just tends to be, if you're very, if you fight the director or I don't want to say fight us in like fist fighting, but if you, are strong-willed and you have a vision of how your character is and you're not willing to change that no matter what the director says then that can put you on their bad side it puts you on my bad side you know you 
you get to know these people that have, um, I don't want to say egos because it's not really an ego thing, but you know, they're just difficult. They can just be difficult to work with. And you start to question whether you, you know, is it worth it? <laughs> you know, or can you find someone or can you get an actor that's not difficult that will will be easier to work with? And and stuff like that definitely goes with you. Um, especially if you, you know, audition for the same director you know for another show directors remember they they remember what it's like or good or bad right obviously people will remember you know the bad but you know definitely i know directors who are out there that will work with certain people because they know exactly what they're going to get from them they know they know the effort they're going to get they know the talent they're going to get they know what the backstage presence is going to be with that actor right yeah. Theater is the ultimate collaboration amongst it is. If nobody gets anything out of this specific um, episode, it, it's that the director collaborates with designers and actors and actors collaborate with each other and, and the designers and the backstage people. Uh, yeah. So. And directors also talk to other directors. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. I do. Whenever I'm like, I've never worked with this person before, but you have, what did you think of them? Yeah. You know, I've got this person that came to the audition and I don't know them, but I know you work with them. What is your opinion of them? It's part of the reason why on the audition sheet, it says, what have you done in the past and where? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you know, and I also, I also take it on those sides of the coin. I've been an actor. So I've worked with some of the people that audition for me as when I'm a director. So I know what their work, their work ethic is like from the actor point of view. Cause I've seen it backstage. I've seen it in the wings. I've seen it in the dressing rooms you know, more so than I would as a director. So I know, I'm like, hmm, if they're doing this backstage, I wonder if they do this backstage when I'm directing them, you know? <laughs> so, yeah. It, <clears throat> yeah, it, and, and it's the one thing that you and I haven't, you and I haven't done. Um, I haven't been in a show of yours. I've stage, managed, I've stage managed for you and we have been in a show together. Um, but... And I was cast. We were we were ready to do it. We're getting there. Um, we're, but we'll we're we'll there. do it. We'll do it at some point. I, I'm excited about it. And listen, talking about directing, and I've been talking about actors, and I've been talking about it goes my way too. I mean, I'm not saying that I'm a perfect director. I'm not saying that I haven't had shows where I have had, you know, where things have happened and I maybe didn't handle them correctly or handle them the right way. Because um, it's all a learning experience for everyone involved. Every show I do. Every group of people I work with, it's a different group every time. And there are different dynamics. And sometimes things go wrong and you either handle it well or you don't. And I'm not saying that I've always been the best director, you know, but um, I, I just, I'm very particular about, about when I do things and how I want things to move and how I want shows to flow and to the point where I will rehearse scene changes sometimes multiple times because I want the scene change to be just as perfect as the, the scene itself because I want the audience to, all of my shows, the scene changes have been visible to the audience because that's, that's how it is on Broadway. So that's how I do it. You know, even if it means the actors have to move the set pieces they're non-union so they're you know they're going to move the set they can can touch that set exactly they can touch that set and they can move it it's on wheels (laughs) 
just um, have you ever directed the same show more than once? Um, no, I haven't. Um, the only show that I've done, I've done Little Shop five times. Uh, three times I've played Seymour in three different productions. I choreographed a production and I directed slash choreographed a production. Um, at ACT, I did the choreography uh, directing with an assistance from um, someone with Karen Metzger. She helped me, um, or Karen, excuse me, not Karen. Um, she helped me with Little Shop as my assistant director and she helped me do the musical staging. But no, I don't think I've ever done a show twice as a director. Once I've done it, I kind of move on. There's really, I and there's just nothing I would want to that I could see doing again. It's it's weird. <laughs> Same thing as an actor. I mean, I've done a couple of shows. Well, Seymour, I've done twice, and Full Monty, I've done twice, but I was two different characters, so it was easier to not play the same character again. Um, and then, so the last question before we get to to the final one is, uh, so we've moved from rehearsals to performances. How hard is it to just sit there and watch the show as a director? Once it's open, you mean? Yeah, once it's open. Um, it's weird because I'm I'm part of the show. I feel like I give my energy to the show in the audience. Anytime something goes wrong, um, there's less of a frustration and more of a, oh my God, are they going to, is it going to get fixed? Is the audience going to notice that this was a mess, mess up or, you know? Um, so every night is like getting on a roller coaster and riding the show. Um, the actors are in the middle of it, but I'm watching it. I'm observing it, knowing how everything is supposed to go but then realizing that it not every, it's not always going to go that way. And there's never a perfect show. Every night something happens that's not supposed to happen. For anyone that's watching out there, every time you see a show, something in that show has gone wrong in the show you watched. You may not know it, notice it, but something has happened in that show <laughs> that was not supposed to happen. And the actors covered it and we're all fine. Um, like cues get missed. Uh, the Fantastics had a couple that were, I was watching it going, that's not the right light. What is going on? Oh, no, that, no, that's definitely not the right light. What is going on? Are they going to fix it? You know, and the audience probably has no clue, but I'm just like, ah, oh, fix it, fix it, you know? So it's, it's, a, it's a nervous energy, but I can't not watch it. I yeah. feel like if I'm not there, then my energy is not there. My, yeah. you know, that, that will to want the show to be perfect is not there. So I, that's why I'm always like, I got to be at every show so I can give my energy to the cast and the, and to the audience and to the show itself. So. Yeah. I, I would, I would just, I would probably find it very nerve wracking because it's like, I can't do anything about it. I can't, no. I can't yell, Hey, do this. Or like, I've heard you go on, you've heard go, I've heard you go on and on about this. Like when something falls on the ground and nobody's pick picking it up, it up, pick it up, pick it up, pick it up. That's another, another free tip to actors. If something oh is on the ground, that's not supposed to be, 
I give you permission. Pick break pick your blo- break your blocking and pick it up. It is okay unless you're like a tree and you're not allowed to move. Then because but. as I said, when something falls on the floor, the audience is no longer watching the show. Yeah, they are watching the thing laying on the floor, and they are watching actors there. walk around it, thinking they're going to trip. Mm-hmm. That's what they're doing. They're not watching the show. It's like whenever in the Fantastics, every time that hole, the, the pit door opened and there was a hole in the stage, the, the, the actors, people were watching the actors to see if they were going to fall in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not the show. So. And especially at a theater like Asheville Community Theater, where the stage is at eye level with the majority of the audience. Yeah. You know, when, when the stage is, you know, at the floor level of the audience, maybe you can get away with it, but not for too long, still pick it up. But at, but at ACT where that stage is five feet tall and right at eye level, everybody's going to be watching that, the hat that fell off of somebody's head. As an audience member, I, I do it as I watch it and I'm like, Oh my God, they dropped that. And now the next scene, that thing is still laying there. And then the next scene, that thing, I'm like, someone pick it up. And I watch, I count how many actors walk off and cross right by it and don't even pick it up. I'm like, pick it up, pick it up, pick it up. Do you, you find know? it, do you find it tough to watch shows? Like not, not your own show. Just like, Hey, I bought it. This, this theater is doing this show. I know somebody in it. I'm going to go support them. Is it tough for you to watch theater? Cause it's tough for, I, I all the time tell people, the thing that ruined watching theater for me was becoming a drama major. It does. Um, it's very tough to watch because a lot of times I would think how I would have directed it. Yep. And I, I start to wonder, was that decision the actor's decision or the director's decision? Um, I start to question like, like I saw a production recently in a community theater, not locally, but, and it was a they did a good job but what drove me crazy the most about it was the set changes like they would literally do a blackout change the set with the music and underscoring going on underneath it and then bring the lights up but i could see them changing the set and i kept wondering why don't they just turn the lights on and let us see the set change because they could have done it as if it was meant to happen in full lighting, you know, as in choreographed it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I kept going, yeah. and that kept going, Oh my God, you just stopped. You know, the, the newer shows, they have a flow to them. Oh yeah. Big time. And if you do a blackout where it's not supposed to happen, you stop the emotional arc by blacking out. You know, like if you keep it moving, keep the audience entertained from the minute it starts until intermission, you've got them, you know, there should be no break in the action, including the set change. You know, it should go, it just keep going, you know? So that's just, and it is hard to watch other productions of other people's shows. Yeah. I typically start to stage manage. Like I used to tell a friend of mine, um, and she probably won't mind me, but like Jessica, when she's doing her kids show, she's like, will you help me with my set changes? I'm like, uh, yeah, <laughs> I'll certainly come help with set changes if you need me to. Cause I, I'll just stage your set changes. You know? <laughs> so, there you go. Mark Jones available for hire for I will change stage choreography. all your set changes, set, set change choreography. <laughs> all right. Well, it's, 
it's time to move on to the final question. Okay. We've already answered it once, but this time we're doing it from a different scope. Uh, why theater and why directing? Um, well, theater gives me an outlet for all of the crazy stuff that goes on in this head, the creativity um, ranging from childhood. As an actor, it was because I needed attention um, and I wanted attention and craved attention from people. And But as a director, I just love being creative. And I think I like directing more than acting um, just because you're in charge of the whole shebang. So even though the audience, you don't necessarily get the kudos when the show is open, the audit, the actors get all of that, the praise and the, and their talent is on stage and they're singing. Um, and occasionally the director will get the praise after the show. Um, but I know watching the show that that was all of what you just watched was my show. Like I molded it, I shaped it, I cast it with the help of other people. And all of that was like me with the help of other people, but it all came together to become one production, one fluid production. And I love that as a director. I love being in charge of that. And, you know, having a lighting designer and a set designer and a costume designer that all work together for the, and a music director, that all work together for the same goal. And it, when it turns out beautifully, like the Fantastics, I'm so proud as a director. I'm like, that's my show. That's what I did. It's beautiful. I see the pictures from Misha and I'm like, God, that show is gorgeous. <laughs> you know, And it's just like, but that's because of all of us collectively working together, you know, under my guidance to create my vision. So when it, when it happens, it's what I saw in my head to begin with, you know? And that's what I love about being a director. I love about theater is that I'm able to create something from nothing. You know, it's like painting a picture on stage, but the actors and the costumes and the lighting are all my paintbrushes and I get to have fun doing it. So. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for, uh, for coming back and doing a second episode on, uh, on directing. I think if we would have done them all at the same time yeah. been a, and, and what people didn't, <laughs> didn't see and didn't realize is after we recorded the first episode and I ended the recording, you and I talked for another two hours I know. <laughs> that night. I know. <laughs> Actually mainly talking about directing. Yeah. So um, I thank you so much. And I, I thank you so much for the years that we've known each other, that you've always been willing to sit down and talk to me about theater and, and directing and whatnot. And so I know when I, when I do shows in the future, I will definitely be calling you up and, and uh, getting ideas or, you know, freaking out about certain things. So Well, that's what I'm here for. What I don't have in schooling, I certainly make up for in passion yeah. and, yeah. and creativity. So yeah. Absolutely. Uh, well, thank you all for, for listening into another episode of Standby Go. You can find me on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and uh, also on YouTube. So until next time, everybody.